So welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. My pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Morgan Fedorchak. Dr. Fedorchak is an assistant professor of ophthalmology and chemical engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Fedorchak, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know you have a variety of interests that generally revolve around drug delivery and biomaterials. Can you give us a brief introduction to your research? Absolutely. So the focus of my research in my lab is on the specific implementation of controlled release and various drug delivery technologies in the eye. We have a variety of projects going on, and for the most part, they all deal with polymeric biomaterials that are put in or around the eye to sustain delivery of some type of therapeutic agent for the treatment of ocular disease. So why is this important? I mean, people put drops in their eyes now. You're proposing an alternative strategy. It's very important, first and foremost, because for most people, the vast majority of people, their vision is their most treasured sense. People would rather go through any number of hardships than lose their vision. And so it's incredibly important to patients and to clinicians to treat ocular disease well. The problem is that despite the number of really good drugs that are available, the delivery options are really poor. And you mentioned eye drops. Eye drops are incredibly inefficient. They were developed because it's an easy, quick, reliable way to get drugs into your body. The problem is that the drug is not sustained on the ocular surface for very long. And this is an issue of what we call low bioavailability. And when you have poor bioavailability, it means that you have to frequently readminister those drugs, in this case, your eye drops. And this can be a problem for a lot of patients. Some eye drops need to be refrigerated. There's all kinds of very specific methods you need to use to administer them correctly. And when you're talking about a disease like glaucoma, for instance, a lot of those patients are elderly and they can have difficulty doing drop administration that many times a day, up to three or four times a day. And that was really where the inception of our biggest project came about was looking at eye drop medication and thinking about how we could improve the delivery of not anything new, but just old drugs to make it easier for patients and make sure that they're getting the amount of drug they need to treat their glaucoma or treat whatever vision-threatening issue they may be faced with. So basically, you're releasing the drug on a continuous basis as opposed to incremental basis. Absolutely. That's the idea behind it. Whereas with traditional drop administration or any type of traditional drug administration, so oral drug delivery, ocular drug delivery, typically what you see is you get more drug than what you need to treat the disease, which can be somewhat risky. You can have some side effects as a result of that. And then you'll see this quick drop-off as the drug is metabolized or, you know, as it's distributed throughout the body, you'll see it dropping below the therapeutic level and you get these peaks and valleys repeatedly. And what controlled release aims to do is to stay within the specific therapeutic window without overshooting it and without going below it for very, very long periods of time. So not even hours, but we're talking about weeks to months of time. And traditionally, you know, for ocular drug delivery, it's a field that's existed for a long time, but it's only now really beginning to explode with lots of technologies and lots of options that are under investigation for patients. 
And what people have most commonly done is to look at invasive methods. If you are going to have a drug that's retained in the eye or around the eye for very long periods of time, you would imagine that most people would inject that material or implant it somehow in order to keep it there. So one of the other challenges that we posed for our team when we first started our project in glaucoma is, can we sustain delivery of drug for a long period of time to address those bioavailability issues and the dosing frequency, but also do it in a fashion that's more comfortable and a lot less invasive and something that patients would be more familiar with. So that's what we set out to do, and that's how the entire idea of a controlled-release eye drop came about. So you've described this technology. As I think about controlled release, one of the common technologies and products that's available is the flea collar, which is a controlled release technique as well. Is that a comparable analogy? It is. It's very similar, actually. So that's a great example because you have a system where, you know, you can put it on your dog and it lasts for a long period of time. And it's something that you can take home and do yourself. You don't need a veterinarian to administer that. And we had a similar approach. We wanted something that patients could conceivably administer for themselves or have a caretaker or a loved one do it for them. And it would last long periods of time. And so the flea collar analogy makes a lot of sense. And there you also have a situation where you have these polymeric materials and they're slowly degrading over time and it's releasing the drug that you need, but in a non-invasive fashion and something that solves the problem without, we hope, introducing any additional problems. So now I have to ask the question, the flea collar doesn't fit in the eye. What do you put in the eye? You're right. A flea collar would not fit in the eye. Interestingly, there is a ring-shaped insert that's being developed for glaucoma. So if there was a flea collar for the eye, that would be the closest thing, but that's not our technology. What we developed is a thermoresponsive hydrogel eye drop, and that's a fancy way of saying that it is a liquid at room temperature, and when it heats up to body temperature, it becomes a solid. So these are also called reverse thermal gels. The idea being that most things will melt when you heat them up. This actually solidifies when you heat it up. And what that material does for us is it enables us to deliver so hydrolytically degradable polymer microspheres, which are fairly common in drug delivery. We're able to deliver those in an eye drop that is then retained beneath the lower eyelid. So that's where that hydrogel comes in. It's able to provide the retention of those microspheres while the microspheres provide the drug delivery elements. So it's two components that act independently of one another, but both of which are necessary to get long-term drug release at the ocular surface in a non-invasive fashion. So I presume that microspheres are... You don't feel them in your eye. It's it's difficult to really judge that because we can't test this on people. But the idea is that we have a soft, pliable material, something non-irritating, very small, easily visible, but yet small so that when you would look at a person with this in their eye, you would not be able to know that it was there. You would have to intentionally look for it to find it. And the material, as I said, is soft and it kind of takes a film-like geometry beneath the eyelid where it just rests comfortably. For glaucoma, we're looking at about one month. And the best way we have to judge this is in our preclinical studies, looking at a tissue level and a cellular level for any evidence of irritation, but also looking for more of the macro-scale anatomical evidence that maybe there is any irritation. And 
Fortunately, in all of our studies, we've seen no evidence that they can even feel this, which is what we were going for. So that's very exciting for us. So basically, the patient would take, I'll use the word, quote, drops, unquote, once a month. Yes, that is the idea. For glaucoma, the idea would be taking a two or three times daily drop, getting the same drug, but using it only once a month. And so patients wouldn't have to remember to take it with them for their day-to-day activities. They wouldn't have to remember every single day to do this. They would only have to set a reminder for the first of the month or whatever day they choose and put that in and then go about their business. And if there was any issues with it, if they thought that maybe it had become dislodged, they would be able to immediately check, see that it's in place, and if for some reason they had to remove it, if you instill another one of these hydrogel eye drops, because we achieved linear drug release, we're able to ensure that the amount of drug that the patient would be getting at any time point, whether it's a new or an older drop, would be the same. And so you're not subject to those peaks and valleys that I described earlier. Would you expect someone to be able to wear contact lenses? Yes, that's one of the advantages of this technology. Because it's a fornicial device, it goes in the fornix, which is the space beneath the eyelid. It doesn't involve the cornea in any way, and that was very much intentional. There are some devices and technologies in development that use drug-loaded contact lenses or drug-loaded implants that are near the cornea. We wanted to exclude the cornea from this because we wanted to make this available to patients who wear contact lenses because... A lot of people who are familiar with contact lenses are aging into the peak glaucoma years, and so that was an important demographic for us to be able to target with this. So you mentioned before that you're in preclinical studies. When might this be available? That is a great question. It's difficult to say because right now we're dealing with a lot of the commercialization elements of this technology. So attempting to spin out a technology from the university has a whole host of issues associated with it that go far beyond any of the technical stuff that I'm used to dealing with. But our hope is that we will have a company formed and be able to begin some clinical trials in the next two years. And from there, it's really a matter of how the clinical trials go as it continues to progress, but all of the evidence that we've gotten so far would suggest that those would be successful trials, and we're really hopeful that this is something that can get into the hands of patients someday. So you mentioned the focus is on glaucoma. Is this technology applicable for any other types of therapy? It is. It actually is. One of the advantages to the encapsulation methods that we use in the microspheres is that it's very versatile. You can tune it for a number of drugs, a number of release options, So you can do somewhat more of a pulsatile delivery or a linear release of drug. You can encapsulate uh, water-soluble drugs, non-water-soluble drugs, and all different sizes of molecules as well. So we're able to adapt our technology for a number of drugs and diseases. Some of the areas that we focus some attention on beyond glaucoma are antibiotic delivery. So we did a preclinical study looking at control of infection using this hydrogel drop as a prophylactic treatment before bacterial inoculation. And the idea is that that would be used for something like a cataract surgery. Traditionally, what you'll do is you get your cataract, and then you get your cataract operated on, and then you'll have to go fill a prescription for your aftercare. So you have to administer drops very frequently in that post-operative period before you follow up with your physician. And in this case, what we're proposing is that you would have the clinician actually place the hydrogel eye drop 
and then there would be no aftercare for the patient. They would be able to just go home, rest, and then in a couple weeks come back. The physician would remove the eye drop, and that's done with just a simple saline flush, so irrigating the space beneath the eyelid is how it's removed, and then they would be good to go, and that would control any type of infection after something like a cataract surgery. Fascinating. So Dr. Fedorchek, I understand that you also have some interest in addressing some therapies for orphan diseases. Yes, as a matter of fact, my clinical colleague, Ken Nischel, who is a pediatric ophthalmologist, he is an expert in the treatment of a disease called corneal cystinosis, which is the ocular manifestation of a larger set of diseases called cystinosis. This is an orphan disease that affects children. It's only a handful of kids in the U.S. and around the world, and it's a big problem. It's an intracellular disease that hinders the body's ability for cells to get rid of certain cellular byproducts. And as a result, you get a buildup of these cysteine crystals in cells. It primarily affects the kidney, but it also manifests in the eye, in the cornea specifically. And there are some drugs that can treat this. As a matter of fact, the drug for cystinosis is called cysteamine, and it was developed at the NIH in part by the dean of the School of Medicine at Pitt, Dean Levine. And this is a drug that works really well, but the problem is that it is administered very frequently to the eye. So we wanted to reformulate glaucoma drugs because they were administered a couple times a day and because there was some minor side effects. In cystinosis, we're talking about, first of all, children who are more susceptible to side effects from drug administration, but also we're talking about a drop administration that is to occur every waking hour of every day to control the production of these cysteine crystals. And you can imagine that this is a huge problem for kids because a lot of them are in school. They need a school nurse to administer this. It's a very burdensome treatment schedule. And so what ends up happening is most kids can only tolerate about six drops a day. So they're already not getting the right amount of drug. And the drug itself is irritating to the eye. There's a whole host of reasons that make this an ideal candidate for reformulation using our technology. And the decision to to branch out into this area was not driven by any commercial interests. It was not driven by any thoughts of forming companies or anything like that. This was a project that was conceptualized solely for the purpose of helping these kids and their families. And we're working with the Cystinosis Research Foundation which is a very involved group of researchers and families, loved ones and patients. And they are helping us to work through these studies. And we're hoping that that can also move into a clinical trial. And I think that, you know, as an academic, as a scientist, for me, that is one of the most rewarding projects that I've worked on because you can see the patients that would be affected by this and you can really see how it would improve their everyday life. And so that's something that we are working very hard on. That's an admirable goal and I commend you for your your effort. Dr. Fedorchek, thank you for joining us and sharing your pioneering research. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Genital Medicine and sponsors this podcast series. And I encourage our listeners to share suggestions You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Thank you for listening.